Welcome to another episode of the JMS Podcast. Today, we have the one and only Mighty Mike McGee come in. We had a great chat. He is such an amazing person, uh, and it's been a great honor having him here on the podcast. And he's very insightful, and uh, I can't wait. And uh, please subscribe if you haven't already on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever else you, you're catching this feed. <laughs> oh, go ahead, subscribe. If you want to uh, email me for any reason, just email jmspodcast at gmail.com. You know, if there's a guest that you think is interesting in the community and you'd like to have them on here, uh, please let me know. I would love to meet new artistic people to get on the podcast. Please check out the podcast Facebook page. Uh, go on Facebook and just search JMS Podcast. We got pictures, and, I, and I, sometimes, once in a while, I put material from our guest here. And uh, Mighty Mike McGee, he is probably one of the most famous poets to come out of San Jose. Uh, he's been all over the country, and he's gone across the Atlantic into Europe, and he is such an amazing poet. Amazing poet. And in a lot of ways, I, I, I can't thank him enough, because... In a time where my mind was concentrated on on school work and and at the time stand up and and film, I forgot about my poetry roots. And it wasn't until he invited me to one of his kitchen sessions, which is like a gathering of poets and other musicians and other talented people, that it re inspired deep inside of me to get back to my poetry roots. And for me, it was like a great revelation. Revelation. Oh, there we go. See, something about this episode, I keep having trouble with the words. All right. I don't know what it is about today. Uh, so I would like to apologize ahead of time. All right. I'm going to. The great thing about Mighty Mike McGee is that you, if I'm about to put some of his material uh, hit, right now, I'm about to put on a poem from his album called Harmony. Uh, this album you can check out at Bandcamp. Go to bandcamp.com. And just search for Mighty Mike McGee and his uh, poetry album, Harmony's on there. And it's an amazing album. I, 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 You know what? It's one of those things I can't really express verbally because you just got to go there and check it out. I'm going to play Every Day, which is a soundtrack from his poetry album. And at the end of our conversation, I'm going to put on his poem, A Story of Us, which is uh, another poem you can catch at on his album called Harmony. So Bandcamp, search Mighty Mike McGee, and download his album. And trust me, you will not regret it. Amazing poetry. All right, let's get let's get to Mighty Mike McGee. Every day, I rewrite her name across my chest so that those who wish to break my heart will know who to answer to later. She had no idea that I taught my tongue how to make pennies, and every time her mouths were to meet, I would have slipped a coin to the back of her throat and made a wish because I wished that someday my head on her belly might look like home, like doubt-to-doubt resuscitation because time is supposed to mean more than skin. She doesn't know that I've taught my arms to close around her clocks so that we could both withstand the fallout from her autumn. She is so explosive. The volcanoes watch her and learn. Terrorists want to strap her to their chest because she is a cause worth dying for. 
Maybe someday time will teach me to pick up her pieces, put her back together, and remind her to click her heels, but she doesn't need a wizard to remind her that I was here all along. Lady, let's catch the next tornado home. Let's plant cantaloupe trees in our backyard, and then one of these days I'll remind you I don't like cantaloupe. And they sure as hell don't grow on trees, but we can laugh about it. Then maybe we can plant things we've never heard of, because I've never heard of a woman who can make flawed look so beautiful the way you do. And the word smitten is to how I feel about you, what a kiss is to romance, so maybe my lips to yours could be the penance to this confession, because I'm the only one preaching your defunct religion, sitting alone at your altar, praising you out of faith. witness in much, much better places, so yes, yes, I will gladly take on your ocean just to swim beneath you so that I can kiss the bends of your knees in appreciation for the work they do, keeping your head above water. Good audio quality, because I ran a spoken word record label for a little while. Oh, and uh, spoken work label. Yeah, so we, so it's like CDs. Yeah, of poetry. Out, initially, we put out tapes. Tapes. This is like late '90s, early 2000s. We put out tapes of live the. So how it started was, uh, uh, my roommate and I. Well, before we were even roommates, before we even lived together, he was like, "I really these shows that we're doing these op- this open mic." Um, is that uh, where where Whole Foods is now? There used to be uh-huh. a different building there. In the Alameda. Yeah. And uh, there used to be a different building there. And it was called Channel One. And it was a clothing store, cafe, record shop. All and in one? Was, yeah. Wow. It was so cool. And there was a local band in San Jose called Duster at the time. And they were kind of shoegazy, sort of emo. And uh, a lot of uh, kind of new wave, noisy, but like low drones type shit. Uh-huh. You know? Uh, good band, really good band. They put out vinyl, they put out records, you know, and uh, they owned this space and they used it for live shows. And so that way, whenever anybody came through San Jose, there was a there was a venue for them because there was just like no live venues back then. It was like was this in the nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. So that, that's when the city started cracking down on the live music uh, yeah. venues. Okay. Yeah. Um, and well, it was the redevelopment agency seemed to like, I don't know if it was them. Uh, completely and solely, but they seem to really not want loud music in San Jose. So they just made it really hard for venues to get a to get for venues to stick around if they were going to have live bands. You know, to mm-hmm. have a live. Uh, I I don't know if they need a license to do it or what, but and they really didn't want it to happen downtown. So and it kind of kept people away from downtown. The only thing you could do is be a DJ in, inside of a a clubby club. You know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, which is such a shame because live performances it's almost uh, a sense of, of, of magic atmosphere you, you because can't have a city without it right because you, you're you're doing it with other people yeah other strangers and yeah. you're all being connected by this other person and his creative expression right and there's something very magical ritualistic about it I absolutely feel. absolutely yeah 
that you uh, can't get uh, with the, with the DJ. I mean, maybe if I don't know the dubstep uh, people. I don't. I don't want to. I've definitely felt like you know, like a DJ has saved my life a few times. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but in that like, eh, the DJ just kept playing the right songs to get my body going. You know, yeah. to keep going. I I love dancing. You wouldn't know it by looking at me, but I love to dance. And uh, and there's really nothing better than a great DJ or an amazing live band. Mm. Uh, there's nothing like it to get the body moving. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I just, it, it, but back in the late 90s, early 2000s, downtown San Jose was a boring place. It was a really boring place. But apparently, according to friends of mine who, who were downtown in the 90s, in the mid early to mid 90s, downtown was awesome. Downtown was great. It was really alive. And the way those people described it then is the way they describe it now. They say mm. San Jose is, is back. It's back to what it was in the 90s. So, Well, I think it has to do with the tech boom. That it, it, It's, it's kind of telling a lot of these uh, old uh, guards, uh, and by that I mean like people who like in, in the city council, that the small town mentality doesn't fit anymore with this big city. Right. Because we got a lot of people coming in. You know, real estate's getting more expensive, yeah. and people are getting tired of going to San Francisco for entertainment. Yeah, you know, because it's the traffic and the drive. So it's like, why not start investing in entertainment here, especially live entertainment? Absolutely. Yeah, and well, now that there is no redevelopment agency anymore, that helps a lot because they're not going in and trying to redevelop San Jose. They're just trying to let. They're letting San Jose just grow. You know. I didn't know we had a redevelop. Redevelop. I can't even say the fucking word. Redevelopment. Development. Yeah. Team. Just, just in, think. In the 90s. Just think of the word development, right? Yeah. Development, and then add re to it. Yeah. Once in a while, you my could, speech goes off. Like my brain what, and my mouth don't communicate right. at the same time. Well, what you could do is you could say development re, and then edit it later on in post production, and just put the re in front of development. No, I just and thought my listeners know how dumb like, I am when yeah, I talk. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I figured I would at least let you, let the listeners out there know you could have done that. Yeah. But you're not going to because you're an honest person. Uh, yeah. So it was just a ploy to show how honest you are. Uh, look, but I didn't know there was an agency back then in, in the 90s trying to All, quote unquote fix San Jose. There was, there was a redevelopment agency until uh, Jerry Brown became governor. And then he went through and he was like, okay, budget cuts. We got to cut some unnecessary fat. And and the arts are usually the first thing to go. Well, no. Actually, what he did was he cut any he cut over-administrative crap. He cut things that were like, okay, this is redundant. This We don't need this. We don't need a, all these cities in California that have redevelopment agencies. Uh, these redevelopment agencies ended up becoming, you know, 20 years in, 30 years in. They became these sort of like okay, you planted some trees in the city. That's great. You you got rid of the businesses that weren't doing very well and you brought in businesses that are starting to do pretty well. But now you're just sort of old guard and you're making it really hard for new people to start new things. Hmm. Um, it's like, well, we we just fixed San Jose and now we want to keep it exactly the way we fixed it. You know, And it's like, that's not how a city grows. A city grows by... Not having any barriers, not having any boundaries, aside from the, the the streets and buildings it already has, you know, and let things become more organically, right? You know, like I think a perfect example of San Jose, a perfect metaphor for San Jose, is you know St. James Park. 
Yes. And you know that you know that courthouse, the big dome at the end of St. Yes. James Park? It's just sitting there, fenced off. Yeah. Every once in a while people come in and out of it, but like it doesn't seem like it's actually used for anything. I think it's a historic building and so they can't tear it down, but they can't use it either. And to me you get to a point where it's just like, you know, there's some things that just need to come down, you know? Like if you're not using this building, then put something there you can use or turn it in or, 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 or make the park bigger, you know, yeah. like expand it, turn it into a parking lot if you have to, but it's, it's just becoming an eyesore now. It's just becoming right. this big, ugly building that no one's going to do anything with because it's going to cost a lot of money to refurbish it, to, to fix it up. So change yeah. is something that needs to be done. You feel it, absolutely. I'm there. There might be moments in time, like whenever it seems like, Oh, you know what would be a good idea here is change. Let's change this. You know, it should always be a recommendation and never a command, mm. but it should be highly considered. I feel change should always be a consideration. Right. Um, and um, it just doesn't make any sense to, to, to keep the old just because like it's, there are these sentimental laws and legislations, you know, like, oh, but I like that thing. I want to know that that building's always going to be there. Right. It's like, why? Just so you can see it, so you're happy for the three seconds you pass it by on light rail. You selfish person. Yeah, exactly. You know, like <laughs> talking about that building in St. James. There's been a recent article that came out. I'm not sure where I read it. I probably, it sounds like Mercury or somewhere online that there there were plans to actually use that structure and build like a high rise apartment attached to it. And it, and it was going to help the park because that means that more families will move in and use the park and more mm-hmm. people will move in and they would use the park. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't be too hard to, you know, try to have people go to the park for events. Yeah. And recently there's been like a major, a lot of events happening in St. James recently. Like I went to the Blues Festival Almost and I loved it. Yeah. yeah. And they had a taco festival. Taco festival. Definitely. By Chachos, right? Yeah. And then in the article says that... The, the, it's a project they're proposing, but they're meeting a lot of resistance from locals who don't want that. Locals just want to keep it as it is, or at least utilize the that structure for for what it originally was, which I believe was a church. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, the point, man, is that in San Jose, I definitely feel the the old and the new, and, and mm-hmm. like whether change or not. But you know, it's it's history and right. it's. So it gets very complicated. <laughs> there is so much. There is so much history in San Jose. It's the oldest city in California. It was the state capital once, right? It for like was. A, a it day? was the first state capital <laughs> for a day or two. Probably, probably <laughs> a little closer to a year, I oh. would imagine. Uh-huh. But uh, it was the state capital for a little while. The original charter for the state was written in San Jose. Um, a lot of things came through San Jose first, um, but it was the first. It was the first pueblo uh, established by the Mexican government. Or the Spanish government in 1777, which is why when you pass signs, the city of San Jose signs says established in 1777. It's a year younger than the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. like there's so much history here, and there's so much continual multicultural history in San Jose, and it's like, but that's the whole West for you. You know, the West is definitely where we sort of. You know, white guys like me came in and said, yeah, we like it here. I think we'll stay, you know. Um, you guys are going to have to move out. We're going to raise the rent, you know. Um, <laughs> Which is still kind of happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, I was, I was, I just got back. I was in Omaha, Nebraska yesterday morning. Mm. Almost died, by the way. Whoa. Um, what happened there? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep telling this story because it's like, 
It's giving me a new lease on life. Uh, me and a buddy, he was driving me from Omaha to Lincoln, Nebraska, which is about an hour away. Uh-huh. We just had breakfast, and uh, we lost track of time, and we had a very short window to get me to the airport on time. But Lincoln is a small airport, so it's one of those easy ones to get through security. So uh, it goes very fast because it's such a small airport. So I'm not too worried, but my friend is like, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go 80 miles an hour down the, down I-80 and uh, and get, try to get you there in time. Well, we're passing this big rig on the left. It's a two-lane road. We're passing this big rig, and it's raining, and it's just pouring. Oh. And all of a sudden, we hydroplane, and we hydroplane. We start to veer left, and then we veer right, and we spin out in front of the big rig and then make it to the side the shoulder as the big rig passes us missing us by probably about four feet and we just sat there just like fuck (laughs) oh my god whoa oh oh it felt like it took 30 minutes for us to spin around the highway you know Uh and we stopped i'm like and he kind of like he kind of put the car in drive again like he was gonna correct and like drive away i was like wait stop 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 i'm like (laughs) Let's take this moment in. Just, are you alive? He goes, yes, I'm alive. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm alive. Yeah. Uh, a little lighter. Uh, but I'm alive. Uh, so, uh, yeah, dude. Wow. 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 And uh, and I was like, you know what? If I miss my flight, I miss my flight. I ain't tripping. You know, you know what? Let's walk there. Yeah. 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 It might be safer. Yeah. So we we drove very slowly until the rain let up, and then and then we picked up speed again. And it was just for the rest of that for the next thirty minutes, we were just like, okay, all right, you know, like that just happened. Wow, I'm really alive right now. Mm-hmm. It was like the worst coffee I've ever had in my life. Didn't taste very good, but man, am I awake? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. When I lived in Oakland for a little bit with my ex, uh, there have been some scary driving near death experiences myself over there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I feel you. Oh man, but man, you, you you travel doing poetry, right? I do. Yeah, I do. how is that? Cause Amazing. Yeah, is it? Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, I started out in Poetry Slam, uh-huh. and um, and now I tour and I do um, I do uh, universities here and there or or various programs. Uh, people I know who want to bring poetry into schools, high schools and stuff, middle schools, um, they'll pay me to come out and bring poetry to their schools. Um, or university will just book me to do an hour long set. Um, um, I, I charge, um, I wouldn't call it an exorbitant, an exorbitant amount of money, but it is a, you know, it's a healthy sum of money to come out and perform. To make a living pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do, you know, I, I, I'm able to, um, um, I, I, I can afford life at this moment. How far have you traveled? Like, do you feel like you're within a parameter in in, in the world, or do you feel like you've been all over that? Um, I've I've covered all of the U.S., almost all of Canada. Um, unfortunately, I've only been to Mexico once, but I hear the spoken word community is, is really starting to grow in Mexico. Yeah. Um, you know, I know the guy who runs the Poetry Slam in, in Mexico City, so I really want to go. Um, oh. but, um. And I've been uh, throughout Europe. Europe? Yeah. And I go to Europe once or twice a year. So. See, poetry, it's like almost one of the first primitive art expressions verbally mm-hmm. of almost all cultures. Yeah. Well, actually, I want to say all cultures or yeah. all, all countries. It's true. Yeah. I, I don't think there's not a region in this in this earth that you don't like 
see like you know there's like the locals have this sense of poetry yeah yeah i mean you can like you can be in a punk band and you can go and tour a lot of countries around the world um i would say half the countries in the world have well i probably every country has at least one fan of punk rock you know every country has Mm -hmm. at least one fan Someone's wearing that Ramon yeah. shirt somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone's got a Misfits shirt on. Someone's got a, you know, um, The Clash. You uh-huh. know? Um, and even even Green Day, if you want to call it that. But um, but yeah, but I mean, like, what is, what is truly punk is going to be different in different countries. But spoken word, poetry is, is kind of the same everywhere. It's, 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 it's in... It's individual expression um, done in a um, done in a very vocal way. Mm-hmm. There's a written way and there's a vocal way, and I love both equally. But one of them pays the bills much better than the other. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that's the only difference. Yeah, that's, for me, that's really the only difference. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I do poetry. I am a poet. I'm a stand-up poet. I like to call myself. So you combine stand-up comedy with poetry. Yep. So you aim to inject humor into your poetry. I do. I do. That is my goal. And um, and my banter in between is mm-hmm. essentially stand-up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah. You're you're super. Like I I've seen you perform, and I'm like, you're way out. Like stand-up comedy-wise, you'll you you more than survive. Mm. Poetry, you're you're way out there. Thanks, man. It's like wow. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. We first met for Scotty. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know who you are. Everybody yeah. knows who you are. I did it. Like all circles in the art community knew who you were, mm-hmm. and I, I was like naive. I was like, I don't know this guy, but he's pretty. He's, I like his beard. He's yeah, awesome. Yeah, he seems nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, you just sat down and you started. And at the time, I was running uh, for Scotty, mm-hmm. uh, the comedy open mic. Yeah, and oh, I'm glad to know that you enjoyed it. Oh yeah, yeah. That really you it, it really opened my eyes because there was I didn't know that there was a comedy open mic in downtown, mm-hmm. and um, when I found out. It was because I, I stumbled in on it. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go. I was sitting outside. I think it was in January. I was sitting outside at the cafe on First Street in downtown San Jose. Um, and I got uh, I just got a, kind of a bug up my ass. I was like, you know what? I'm just sitting around the house. It's winter. I could easily hibernate right now, but I really should be get going out and like being social. So... Uh, and I hate touring in the winter. I hate it. I you don't stand it. You don't like the cold? I, I don't mind the cold. I hate the snow. And I hate what the snow does to travel. Hmm. So it's like there's always that risk of like, okay, I have to get to Tennessee. and But I'm in Minneapolis right now. And there is a huge snowstorm between me and Nashville, Tennessee. Uh-huh. You know, And it's like that snowstorm is going to make my job really hard for the next few days. You know, so it's like I have to. Okay, and then I got to try to see if I can get a bus. It's going to take two days to get to Nashville from Minneapolis, so I need to, I need to plan. You know, it's like oh, no flights. I get a flight. Oh, it's canceled. Oh, because of the snowstorm. You know, it's like fuck snow. Fuck that, winter. Fuck winter. That would be like <laughs> such a good fuck snow would be a good knuckle tat. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah. So I I show I went over to the I went over to Cafe for Scotty because it's probably my favorite. It's probably my favorite downtown cafe because it's a good place to just sit and, and be social or not be social. Mm-hmm. You can really zone into whatever you're doing. The food there's okay. The mm-hmm. coffee's fine. You know, mm-hmm. it serves its purpose. Um, 
but it's there it's an establishment downtown and it's kind of a it's a fixture you know like who doesn't it's a great place though well, i'll just meet you for scotty i'll just meet you for scotty you know um phil's is kind of like that too but i feel like phil's is more of an afternoon spot whereas for scotty you can go into the night there so anyhow so i go down to Frascati and i'm sitting there and you and a few of the other comedians i feel like maybe faco was there mm-hmm. and maybe maybe a couple other guys you guys were all sitting outside and then you put out the a-frame and, and i saw that i looked over at the a-frame sign and it said you know comedy open mic tonight right mm-hmm. or comedia or something Frascati comedia yeah yeah and i try to keep it italian themed yeah and so i was like uh, I was like, oh my God, are you serious? There's a comedy open mic here? And uh, how long had it been running? How long had you been doing it? Oh, this is January. My first time there was January. I think uh, this coming... Wait, what month is this? We're in September. Oh my God, a year. Oh, okay. A year, like yeah. exactly a year. And I moved back in yeah. June of last year. So I was like, me going over for Scotty that night was me like... I had been back for about six months, but I'd been in Europe for two months of that. So you started the open mic, and then you started the open mic, mm-hmm. and I went to Europe. So it's around the same time. Yeah. And I was in Europe until December. And then I came back and was just like slowly getting back into this. And me and Ben Henderson were planning um, Kitchen Session, and we were planning like, so we were trying to get like the ball rolling on a number of things. And then the whole Night Foundation thing started up. Uh, you know about Night Foundation? Yeah. And so, like, we were kind of getting roped into that. We weren't sure if we were going to try to get a grant of some sort. And then we didn't want to get one. But then Night Foundation was like, no, 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 apply. You should apply. You should apply. And we're like, all right. So, what's your take on that? Because I have mixed feelings. I have mixed feelings, too. But I think in the long run, it's all pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think in the long all run, right. it's it's what it's doing is, if anything, it's at least creating some, like, I mean, we didn't get any money from them, but we weren't trying to until they kind of, they were like, no, if you apply, you'll get money from us. And we're like, oh, <laughs> if anybody cool. applies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you apply, you'll get money from us. I should probably apply. <clears throat> and they gave us a number. They gave us a four digit number. Uh-huh. And they're like, we'll probably be able to give you this much. And we're like, oh, that's a small amount. That'd be enough for us to get like, because we couldn't think of what we would use money for. Right. We're like, <clears throat> I make enough money to the fund kitchen session that's not you know that's nothing well the great thing about it it's a potluck so it's it's a self it makes sustaining it, and i've 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 only ever had thing. to put in a couple times i've had to put in like 10 20 bucks just to cover like the performers that i pay mm-hmm. you know um but i generally pay out you know 200 bucks a night mm-hmm. to performers you know the main act so anyhow um we really were under the impression that we were going to get like some money if we wrote out a grant. Cause at first we were like, we're kind of proud. We're like, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not asking for any money from them, you know, cause we're, we don't need it. And then they pressured us into applying. So we're like, <laughs> all right, well, I guess we'll apply. And then they're like, no, we're good. We'll pass. They told us, Oh, they told us to apply. They led we you applied, on. Oh no. And then they let it, then they passed on us and we're like, all right. And we used their idea for the grant. They were like, well, what if you got like video equipment? So you could videotape kitchen session, so you could stream it and stuff. I was like, oh, actually, it's a good idea. A few GoPro cameras around the house, mm-hmm. that'd be awesome. I would totally watch that show. You know, no, they passed. I mean, and I don't know why they passed. It could have just my grant wasn't very good. I don't know. Uh, yeah, see, I feel the Knight Foundation, or, or at least that program that they're having in San Jose, mm-hmm. for the most part, I think it's it's good. Yeah. It, it, it allows 
promoters or, yeah. or people who want to make uh, something artistic. Yeah. It gives them a chance and, and gives them some, and, some, some money to do mm-hmm. it. And so, uh, those of you listening at home, Knight Foundation is a really awesome organization. It's oh, a it non-profit is. company uh, based out of Florida. Um, and they, they're billionaires, if I'm not mistaken. They uh-huh. used to own 20, they used to own no- newspapers in 26 cities around the country. Is that what they do, <clears> newspapers? <throat> I, I had no idea what they even did. Knight Ritter used to own the San Jose Mercury News. And that's so, what they did was they took a number, they took several cities uh, that they used to have newspapers in, that they used to own the papers for. Uh, and they decided we want to. Uh, now that we're a nonprofit, we want to put money in the arts and in technology and in a couple of other fields. So we know about the arts grants mm-hmm. because we're artists. Uh, but there are other grants out there too. And um, right. So you were asking what I think of it, and I think like it's great that they're trying to put money. They're trying to feed yeah. and and and. Now, now here's my kind of nitpick issue with mm-hmm. n- not them and like I said for the most part it's great mm-hmm. I just feel when I find out that something's sponsored by the Knight Foundation that it's something that's being spoon fed to me like yeah. it does not feel organic to me it should I mean well and it won't it can't because it's not organic right it's, it's so I'm it's like bought it's paid for you know so I'm like oh some corporate this is a corporate but then th- that's just me being, you know, super naive and, and kind of uh, purist, you know, art. So it's just one nitpick of mine. But other than that, they're doing great. I don't know. Um, there's going to come a point where... They... I need to make money. <laughs> well, there's going to... I mean, like, look at it like this. Look at it like this. Anyone who complains about Knight Foundation... Yeah. I mean, yes, there are there are nitpicky things that you could go through and say, yeah, but they, they should have done this. They should have done that. They should have done this. I'm going to defend them and say, you know what? They are a multi-billion-dollar corporation, mm-hmm. nonprofit corporation, um, that is putting money in the arts in San Jose. There has been very few eras in the city of San Jose where anybody could say that, mm-hmm. where anybody could say, "Yeah, oh yeah, yeah." There's a lot of money coming in for art, you know, and now there is. There's yeah. a lot of money coming in for art and for technology, and it's like you know what they're they're realizing. San Jose is the tenth largest city in the United States of America, tenth largest. Like it is in the top ten of populations in the U.S. We are an important demographic, you know, to the rest of the U.S. There is no reason people shouldn't be paying attention to uh, what we're doing. In San mm-hmm. Jose, what's happening in San Jose? They pay attention to the technology gladly. The oh, whole yeah. world pays close attention to our technology. Well, guess what? There happens to be a bunch of artists in that mix. There happens to be a bunch of artists who also live in Silicon Valley. You know, and I mean, you talking about like Knight Foundation really only funds things in San Jose, and that's great. I'm all for it. Maybe they'll give it to people I don't think are doing very good work. But maybe that money will fuel that person to do even better work. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they'll give that money to people who never had an opportunity before to do the things they really want to do. You know, and I think that's great. I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know, um, I don't need any money from the Knight Foundation. I'm letting you know, Knight Foundation. <laughs> I think you're awesome, yeah. and I don't need anything you're doing. Yeah. You know, but if we end up joining forces down the road someday, yay. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. You know, God, um, I can't even imagine if a Knight Foundation person even listens to this podcast. I'm like, whoa. Uh, well, I don't know. You, you, you'd be surprised, man. You mm-hmm. put you put enough names on it from San Jose, and they're gonna they pay attention. 
Do they? They, they pay very close attention oh. to what's going on. Um, and and honestly, I think like with with which is great because for me the worst thing, uh, you know, talking about redevelopment stuff. Yeah. The worst way an expert, quote unquote, expert can approach the, any community to change or to help mm-hmm. is use a blank slate uh, approach to it. Yeah. Meaning. I know from my backgrounds in my cities, instead of looking at the culture, instead of looking at the history, mm-hmm. and then working from there, mm-hmm. they're working from a pre preemptive, uh, already planned out area. And, yeah. and they're like, all right, we're, we're taking control, and this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Instead of asking the local art community, what do you feel is the best thing to do? Right. So I, it looks like the Not Foundation are exactly doing that, where they're, mm-hmm. they're reaching out to, to the art community and say, hey, how can we help you? What do you feel seems that needs? Way. Yeah. And lately, there's been a string of festivals happening in the Sofa District yeah. that immensely are awesome. Yeah. And at the same time, bring I feel is bringing more people in. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I, I the Sub Zero Festival and then the the um, the ensuing uh, street markets mm-hmm. uh, in downtown San Jose on the first Fridays of the month through through the summer. I mean, every first Friday there's uh, the Art Walk, which is great. All the galleries are open to the public. Uh, that night up until like 10 or 11 o'clock um, and they have special things going on like the galleries will have bands and snacks and beverages to drink definitely non-alcoholic beverages definitely um, you need a license then, for the alcoholic yeah, ones yeah yeah so uh, but the um, they have so much going on on the first Fridays of each month All um, thanks to a large, in large part to um, Ono Domini Gallery Ono Domini and uh, Brian and Sherry because mm-hmm. they're just always. Yeah, I uh, see them at Frascati quite a lot. Oh yeah, I'm I'm too intimidated to talk to them because I know like they're pretty big figures. So I was like, I do not want to look like a dumbass. So I'm just gonna they're, play cool. Yeah, no, they're 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 <laughs> awesome. They're they're great. Um, it yeah, it took me it took me a few years to kind of get to that same point. Um, uh, where I felt like I could I could chat with them and uh, approach them, but they're just so busy. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people just don't want to waste their time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. They're busy bringing shit to San Jose, um, and really good shit too. So, um, uh, and they're they give they give a lot of people a, a, a shot, you know. Um, but uh, I love their space. But um, yeah, they you know there's just San Jose is so much livelier than it was. I moved downtown in 2001, and uh, lived on Second uh, between Japantown and downtown and I would walk downtown and on certain days I would walk from my house into downtown it was about an eight block ten block walk and there was easily easily no one on the street I would walk ten or ten blocks or so and I would run into nobody like San Jose felt like a ghost town back Mm. in 2001 um, especially after 9-11. After 9-11, it felt like no one ever wanted to go downtown. Um, and then, I don't know, I feel like it was sometime around 2008, 2009, things really started to change. And it seemed as though more events were happening. And that's around the time the redevelopment agency went away. Whenever Jerry Brown became governor again hmm. is around the time uh, things really livened up in San Jose when Jerry Brown became governor and got rid of the redevelopment agency, everything became more and more awesome. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I, at the time, I was—I think I just graduated high school in 2008, so I had uh, no idea none of this was happening. You're a youngin'. I'm a youngin'. What do I know, right? You graduated in 08. I graduated in 94. Oh. 
Yeah. You look super young, though. I don't know. I feel pretty young. Yeah. You feel I feel good. I, <laughs> you no, look I, young. I feel, feel young. I feel like yeah. a kid inside. I'll be 40 in January. Yeah. Uh, I want to uh, switch over to your poetry. Yeah. Take me to the beginning, Mike. Okay. Uh, like, when was the power of poetry instill in you? Uh, so, uh, a good buddy of mine I used to hang out in... I used to hang out with in Campbell, California, which is just next door to San Jose. Over at the Prune Yard, there's a cafe. Uh, at the time, it was called the Campbell Coffee Roasting Company. That's where I made a huge... Uh, m- m- helped form this massive group of friends. Um, some high school friends, some West Valley college, community college friends. Um, just a variety of people who kind of needed a group, you know. And we would loiter in front of Campbell Coffee Roasting Company. Um, and it's funny because the three most pivotal people from that group were all named Jeff. Uh, my buddy Jeff Archuleta, he and I would write screenplays together. My buddy Jeff Hicks and I would do radio and plays together. Um, we did we did radio at San Francisco State University. We also did, uh, there was a pirate radio station, 93.7 FM RFSJ Radio Free San Jose. Uh, it felt a lot like this setup right now, uh, but it was pirate radio and we were actually broadcasting from like, yeah. Uh, do you know uh, you know where Willow Glen that spot between Willow Glen and downtown called Horseshoe mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that area but um, it's um, um, used to be like a lot of like a lot of Norteños and stuff would hang out there um, it was kind of a rough spot back in the day and um, me and a buddy started doing we got involved with a pirate radio station in this guy's backyard yeah. in a, a couple guys hanging out tool shed yeah yeah um, and it got to the point where he built a tower and set up the station to where we were broadcasting all the way out to Campbell. Like we had a pretty far range and we would get like, we'd be like, all right, call us at 408-975-4494, whatever the number was. Don't call that number. I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, um, that was a random number and I really should have used 555 or something. But anyhow, um, <clears throat> people, we'd tell people to call and the phone would start ringing, you know, like it was just incredible. Like the, the, the impact we had on this pirate, you know, at this pirate radio station. Um, so much power, it felt like, you know. Anyhow, then the other Jeff, the third in, uh, pivotal Jeff in my life is Jeff Trenchard. And uh, one day in 98, um, he he started going to this open mic in downtown San Jose called Bacatog. He went, he loved it, he kept going, he started writing more and more poetry. And then one day, I'm joking around with friends, and he's like, Mickey, you really should do stand-up. Like, you should come down to this open mic. This was like September of 98. I went down. Uh, it was like pulling teeth to get me to go down there and actually sign up. But I wrote out a wrote out a set list, and I did a bunch of material. So stand-up then, came before oh, yeah. poetry. Yeah. Fascinating. So everyone, but everyone in my life, I was, I was voted class clown in high school. I was uh-huh. like... You were the funny guy in yeah, high school. I was definitely the funny guy in high school. And I was always the comic relief in all the plays and musicals. Um, I did a a ton of theater already involved in performance. Oh, very much. So ever since I was a kid, when I was seven, I entered my first talent show. Wow. What uh, was your talent? (laughs) I would lip sync with a puppet. Like a ventriloquist. Yeah, I would, but I would, it was, but it was lip syncing to music. I never did a actual like ventriloquist performance, even though I practiced ventriloquism. Um, and and this is at seven. At seven, I did. Uh, I started doing talent shows. Were you influenced by by your parents being creative and stuff? Or um, no, not really. I think I was influenced by. I was born with spina bifida. Uh, it's a deformation of the spine. It's a neural tube defect, uh, and so with limited, um, I have a lot of nerve damage, and with limited sensitivity, uh, I, I, I never had bladder control, 
And mm-hmm. so my whole life, I've always worn diapers. Um, and so, and I've, they've always just, as I got bigger, the diapers got bigger, you know? Right. And uh, so now I wear adult diapers. And, um, but as a kid, I got teased a lot. So I didn't have a whole lot of friends because they were like, just kind of treated me like I was some sort of freak because I didn't, I couldn't pee normally, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, when looking back on it, I was like, that's the dumbest reason <laughs> in the world not to have friends, you know? Right. But I didn't have very many friends. And um, so I just spent time in my room, kind of became a little hermit, you know? And uh, I would do faces in the mirror, you know? Just like every story of every comedian you've ever heard. Just sad, alone, <laughs> lonely. Broken. Broken, yeah. So, but what gave you the guts at seven to be like, hey? My, my family. My family was awesome. Oh. My family was just like, they thought everything I did was so talented and funny and fun. And they were super supportive. Um uh, my mom, my um, my mom and my stepdad David got divorced in um, like 1990, and after that it was pretty much just my mom and me, my brother and my four sisters. Oh, four sisters! I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Yeah. Wow. So that pressure. Um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it was we we were very poor, um, but we working class. Yeah. But rich in love, you know. Rich in love. There you yeah. go. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and laughter. Like laughter was is huge in my family. Huge. Like you can't get by without it. You know. Yeah, it's like a coping mechanism. You know what I'm saying? It, it really is. But it's a really healthy coping mechanism. Exactly. You know. And we weren't. You know, we weren't. We didn't learn how to be funny by insulting each other. We learned how to be funny by just really kind of pointing at the rest of the world, going like. Wow, we really got it figured out, don't we? Even though we have nothing, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, we couldn't even yeah. afford videotapes, you know, like like the videotapes we owned at first. Our first collection of, of videotapes was like the ones we forgot to take back to the rental store. You oh. know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's me like, and my library books. Yeah. It's like, oh, I forgot to turn that one in. I'm keeping it now. Yeah. Then later I have like this huge bill to pay. It's a massive bill. <laughs> so, um, so. Yeah, so comedy was comedy was first. Comedy was first and foremost. My heroes were uh, my heroes were Bill Cosby, unfortunately. Um, but you know what I learned from him is valuable stuff um, in terms of comedy and humor. Um, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Robin Williams, of course. But my favorite was always Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters was yes. was a legend. Was yeah. a genius on stage. He was uh, Robin Williams' mentor. Oh yeah, yeah, and and mine mine through television through video he was definitely my mentor um as was johnny carson johnny carson and david letterman like those guys are just they're heroes in my book like they're social heroes i don't know what they were like i don't know what they're like backstage i don't know what they're like behind the scenes Mm -hmm. they could be assholes for all i know uh and i'm open to the notion that they're probably they probably were assholes or are but um but what they did in front of the camera changed my life you know and it made me realize like they were probably flawed and because they were probably flawed that made them even better on stage that made them even better in front of audiences Mm -hmm. and so i thought well i'm flawed i have this physical condition you know that no one knows about unless i tell them you know and i don't mind telling people now now it's like it's like a little badge of honor you know um and it makes for watching uh i can go and watch like a lord of the rings marathon and not have to get up to use the bathroom as often as everybody that's very else. useful it's very useful especially yeah. after a large diet coke <laughs> so 
But yeah, um, so Jeff Trencher dragged me down to this open mic. I did comedy. It went over like crazy. I also had like so many friends. I brought like 80 people with me. So the guy that ran it was just like, I don't know who this guy is, but man, he brought a whole audience with him, you know? Uh, And um, the place was packed. I did really well. Killed? I killed. Uh, My first time doing stand-up, I killed. But then every time after that, I started going up to like the Mock Cafe in San Francisco uh, and doing like various other open mics and it's not that i didn't kill it's just that i was always improvising you know yeah. uh, like crowd work yeah okay and um and just making shit up there you know because i loved improv mm-hmm. um and uh, that's where jonathan winters came in yeah yeah for sure like dude that's that's what made me like that's what made that's what helped that's what added to like the the respectable version of being class clown because there's the class clown that like gets in trouble all the time which was also me but also like i i could be in a the school musical uh-huh. and the director was always like i was always like oh god this line sucks you know and he's like i know i know uh he goes say whatever you want you know like yeah just wing it because he trusted me you know what uh-huh. i mean and that was that that was the beautiful thing um you know um uh uh ben jaramillo does the uh he does the improv class does he still do it over at- yeah if anything that's evolved to something bigger now uh, before it was just a bunch of friends hanging out to do improv, and yeah. now they got a full on class. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it, I went once, and I've been wanting to go back, but I'm I'm like I'm not yeah. home very often. His, his girlfriend Amy Shank, she's very talented. Improv. I'm sure you met her. I don't uh, know. Um, it's possible. Asian American. Uh, but yeah, she. I think I met her briefly, but I I don't think I met her at the improv. Yeah, and but and she's the one spearheading that improv program that okay. they're, they're building. So it's That's awesome. great. That's so great. So going back to comedy, so you went to SF and things it was yeah. just the not working out. The comedians there were, I mean, this is like 99, 2000. Mm-hmm. They were all, a lot of them were assholes. Uh, they were. Yeah. Uh, some and, some and, still are. <laughs> and some of them are probably still toiling in the comedy world, you know, yeah. trying to figure out how to pay rent. You know, yeah. it's like, well, there you go, asshole, you know. <laughs> I hope you never figure out how to pay rent. You know, like I was just some innocent little kid, 24, but still, you know, like trying to figure it out, you know, trying to get out there. And there are so many old fucks, yeah, <laughs> old comedians that don't give a shit about young comedians. And they're not willing to give them like a good, just a pat on the back, just a, not even a pat on the back, just a handshake. Like, hi, I'm, I'm Steve. What do you need? Mm-hmm. You know? What are you scared of? How can I quell some of your fears in this industry? Because I've been at it for seven years, or I've been at it for twelve years. You know. Well, what's some shit they gave you? They didn't. No, I just watched them give other people shit. They just Uh-oh. wouldn't give me the time of day. No. No, they just go outside, light up their cigarettes, and just stare at the ground. You know. <laughs> I'm just like Jesus, and that's why I really I found your open mic so refreshing because. Uh-huh. Like, while a lot of the comedians would show up, wait for their five minutes, do their set, and then leave, uh-huh. which to me is, like, rude as fuck, you know? Um, it's like, dude, stick around, man. People stayed for you, you know? <laughs> like, you should stick around. You have, There's nowhere you have to be that you can't wait another 20 minutes so that the show can finish up, you know? Because, like, you need bodies in the room to test that shit out, you know? You need that applause, you know? It's like, sometimes... The only way you know a joke worked is because one person laughed. If that one person wasn't there and didn't laugh, you wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. And you need to know, you know. 
Um, and everyone in that room knows that. That's why it kills me when they leave early. But that's not a that's not a huge sin. The big sin, <laughs> the big sin is treating someone like crap because they're new. Right. That's not a reason for treating them like crap. Treat them like crap because they're a racist bastard. Treat them like crap because they're sexist. Treat them like crap because they're homophobic. You know, that's when you treat someone like crap. That's when you just give them a side eye and be like. Yeah, what you do doesn't go around here. You know, like you know that thing you did earlier tonight uh-huh. wasn't good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how you help, you know. But it's just like, dude, a pointer, you know, just a couple of pointers, just a couple of just a just a a, a welcome, you know, just like, hey, you're welcome here, you know. I don't need to come up to you and pat you on the back. I don't need to hug you and be like, oh my god, wow, you're new, you're great, you know. Because honestly, if you're new, you're probably not great, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I've studied stand-up comedy for 30 years, you know? Like, I get it. I understand it. I'm not in love with it anymore. I don't find it to be, like, the end-all, be-all. But I, I do love it still, but I'm not in love with it. It's like most relationships. You mm-hmm. fall out of love with someone, but you can, can't you can continue to love them. Right. You know? And you should fall out of love with people, or else it's going to feel like this messed-up fantasy that's not working, you know? So, um, but then the poetry, uh, I realized I was like, well, I could keep trying the stand-up comedy thing, but it's like, whenever I go to an open mic, a comedy open mic and try out my material, it kind of like, it goes okay. Or I just feel, I feel really like, like there is no community, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love community. I love interacting with the people so like, I don't want to just see you on stage. Maybe you suck as a comedian. Maybe you're not that funny. But you know what? You have enough skill to write a joke to where maybe I could buy a joke from you. Or maybe someone, maybe we could work together and write a, a sitcom. Or maybe, you know, like, maybe you don't have the chops to be on stage, but you definitely got the chops to be off stage and still doing comedy. Comedy doesn't have to just live on the mic, you know? And so, and I just never found that in San Francisco. I never found that around the Bay. Then I did the Rooster Tea Feathers um, Bay Area like uh, um, competition, amateur, amateur comedian competition, yeah. uh-huh. and I did that like in two thousand one or two thousand two, and I got to the semis by the skin of my teeth. Like I really like, honestly, my set I probably didn't deserve to go to the semis uh, based on my set, so I was determined to do much better in the semis. So I get to the semis, I invite my mom and a couple of friends, and the place is packed. I get to the semis, and there are, uh, the way they do it there is they have a list of the 12 comedians that are performing that night, or the 10, or the 8, I don't remember how many there were, might have been 8, and they have a list of the comedians that are performing, and there's like several sheets of this on the table, and these are voting sheets, and at the end of the night, you circle the three comedians you liked the most. They take all those, they tally them up. And whoever has the top two that had the most votes move on to the finals, right? And this was one of like four semis. Because they do like, it's they go from 100 comedians down to four or eight or whatever it is. And uh, so I'm like, I might make the finals. So I get up and I improv. I improvise my night. I, I just work the room. What a risk taker, man. Whoa. It was awesome. And it worked. And you killed. I killed. Fuck. Yes. I killed. And... Um, uh, because I'm just not scared on stage. I'm just not. I love being up. You've been doing it since seven. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> and so I go. I killed, and I can honestly say I killed. You know, and um, 
and it felt great. And uh, I get off stage, I go out and you go out the back door of Rooster Tea Feathers and you could smoke back there. Um, so I go outside, I'm going out to smoke and the, there were these two women that were in the competition. They were not funny. They were okay. They were like very mediocre. And I would say they were probably the two least funny people, maybe in the top three of the least funny people that night, these two women. And they're smoking and they're talking. And I don't know if they know, realize I'm there or not, but they're just like, yeah, so my 40 friends and your 20 friends, if they, if your friends vote for me and my friends vote for you, we're definitely, in, we're shoo-in for the finals. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck, man. It's yeah. just a popularity contest. It is again. It, it, it's a bringer show masked as a tournament, yeah. right? A competition. And, so, and yeah. I didn't. I didn't understand that. This was new to me. So, um, I took third. Mm. I took third in that competition. So I didn't make it to the finals because these women brought so many friends. You know, I had I known, I could have brought all of San Jose with me. I could have brought you know like <laughs> you would have packed the an entire block. <laughs> I could have brought a shit ton of people into that room. Well, but I didn't want to win because I brought friends. I wanted to win. So then I looked at it and I was like, you know what? I'm not mad at them. They did their thing. And to be honest, they're probably not even comedians anymore to this day. And I do comedy three or four nights a week, you know? And I didn't have to go through comedy clubs to do it. Mm-hmm. I do comedy everywhere. I do comedy in universities, churches, basements, kitchens, you name it. And I do poetry. So I'm giving them the balance of, I'm a real human being, I care about the world, I care about you, and I'm fucking funny, <laughs> you know? And yeah. that was my goal, and I realized, I'm like, well, I've always wanted to do the Richard Pryor, Bill Hicks, George Carlin, like, have a message with my humor. And I do, you know? I just didn't do it the way they did it, you know? And I'm like, so I'm not tripping, <laughs> you know? You brought up an interesting concept and notion and, and that I could... I want to go a little little further on that. Sure, sure, sure. Which is a sense of community and the difference between the comedy community and the poetry community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big difference mm-hmm. where in poetry, it's so much supportive. Yeah. You know? And then in the comedy, not so much because it, it's a lot of comedians approach it in a very individualistic level. Yeah. Where it, and especially when it comes to competitions, it's not so much about the craft. Mm-hmm. It's more about all right, how many people did I manage to bring in? And on top of that, is this next comedian my competition? Like, you know, yeah. they look at it almost too competitive considering that we're not fucking, you know, in, in the industry, really. We're, right. we're in the Bay Area. <laughs> we're, and, we're hardly in the Bay Area. Yeah. So yeah. so that's why uh, for Scotty, I was like, when, when I was making that open mic, I knew that notion. I was like, you know what, dude? I just want to have fun with this. Yeah. I want to make as much, meet as cool people as I can. Yeah. And for me, it's not about who's better. It's more about yeah. having fun, especially with the new people. Because mm-hmm. for me, that was my biggest concern. Because mm-hmm. at the time, I was relatively new. And I, at the time, I was nervous. Like, oh, shoot, maybe they think I'm like, I'm a hack, already having my own room. Yeah. And I was like, come on, fuck it. I'm going to have fun with it. And yeah. and, and, and it's for Scotty. I mean, like, you know, not, not, to, not to belittle anyone or anything that's happening at Frascati, but it's not hard to book a night at Frascati you know what I mean it's not and it should not be hard right because it's Frascati you know it's like it's just this little institution downtown you know and the thing is that at Frascati I've made so many friends in the music scene yeah in the comedy scene 
and in the poetry scene. Yeah. It's, it's, Catherine, it's a real she, she community. Had, uh, yeah, an open yeah. mic there for, for, for she the poetry. She had the slam, the poetry slam. slam. Exactly. Yeah. And, Hat had. Yeah, yeah, and then, again, it's, it, 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 I think it's an issue in the comedy community for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting seeing those two differences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I will point out is that in, while there's a big community in poetry, that what ends up happening is it's, it's like, it burns really bright and really, um, really hot, really fast. It's like a match. The community in, in poetry and poetry slam and, and spoken word. That community, like, it's almost instantaneous. You and I walk into a room. You do a poem. I do a poem. We talk. We're like, we're friends. We're buddies. All right. This is great. You know, um, you're a poet. I'm a poet. Awesome. Hey, did you meet this guy? He's a poet. Did you meet her? She's a poet. Did you meet them? They're a poet. You know, and then it's like, boom, we're a community now. We've known each other for seven days and we are a community, you know, and then that, that'll last like nine months, 10 months, a year, you know, two years, maybe. Um, and then people come and go out of that within that community and then it can phase it'll it'll kind of fizzle out a little bit you know like I think back to like the people I hung out with the community I hung out with 10 years ago and there aren't that many people left in it there aren't that many people still in that community whereas what I've noticed with comedy while it might be like you don't have you won't have a community for the first five years yeah you know you just want a community for the first five years but then because everyone in comedy they want that staying power. They want to make sure, like, if you're serious about this, then we can go ahead and form a community in about four or five years. I want to know that you're going to be here. I want to know that you're going to stay. I want to know that you're going to stick it through because so many people come and go. And it's the same with poetry. It's just that everyone grabs onto each other really fast and then sort of slowly lets go of them. Whereas in comedy, people slowly grab people and then hang on to them forever. Look at, like... like yeah, you're completely right, man. Uh, and also, there's a sense of camaraderie. I can't even say that word anymore. Camaraderie. Camaraderie. Thank you. Um, and in stand-up comedy here, because it's like, okay, I- I've bombed. I've seen you bomb. We're in this together. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're in the trenches together. <laughs> yeah. And, and and you're right. Eventually, some of my friendship with, with comics are, are, are pretty tight, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love – there are poets I, I really adore. And but there there seems to be strangely enough there seems to be way more comedians that are really working hard in the South Bay in Silicon Valley than there are poets but it's like I feel like it's kind of my job to go out and find those poets because I'm definitely going to be because of just how much I've done poetry and how much I've associated myself with poetry I now have to sort of be the beacon for it you know mm-hmm. I have to be like hey if you're looking for poetry I have some over here you know if you're looking for an outlet to say your poetry, I have one or two over here. You know, come on. You know, I'm not gonna move away. I'm gonna stay in San Jose. I love it here. You know, um, and so it's yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to try to keep building community. But there's so much going on in San Jose right now, and it feels awesome. It know? does. It feels so great, and it's like I have. Um, I have three shows. I have a, a, a show booked at Stretch, and um, I'm thinking of putting on a show at Frascati. And what I want to do is I want to bring a desk and put it in that window, uh-huh. and a chair, and like a plant, and like a microphone on the desk, like like this. Uh-huh. Uh, and I want to put on 
I want to call it my um, the uh, the tiny show with Mighty Mike McGee, and it would be a late night variety show at Cafe Frascati, and in the window, and I would like have a, a chair uh-huh. or a little couch or something, and it would be all crammed in there, and people would sit on the couch, and I would interview them, and then they would perform in front of the desk, and I would just sit at the desk and like host, you know. <laughs> Do you your your Carson? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would need, you know, I'd have like a different Ed McMahon every week. You know, a different Andy Richter every week. There you go. I'd be like, and my sidekick for today, as usual, so and so, and it's like their first time ever being my sidekick. But it would just be quirky and weird, you know. I would wear like a suit, and it would be really silly. Uh, another great thing that you've done. Uh, it's time about venues to perform or outlets to perform was kitchen sessions. Thanks, man. Yeah, and I was just talking to one of your roommates the other day, and yeah. like, I, I, I told me, I hope you guys understand how amazingly important kitchen sessions is. Like, for me, it didn't hit me till the second time I went. I went like four times. Mm-hmm. The second kitchen session, I was like, you know what? What you guys did is so important to the art community here. Mm-hmm. And I and, and I feel like some I feel bad sometimes because it's your house, and sometimes you guys have to clean up the mess afterwards. I love it. But I, I was I was I was telling your um, roommate, I was like, um. I know it's a sacrifice on your part in that angle, but every time I go to kitchen sessions, it re-inspires me. Mm-hmm. Poetry. That's awesome. Because I started with poetry before anything. Yeah. Well, actually, storytelling came first, then poetry. And for me... Wait, what came first? Storytelling. Oh, yeah. Like, just writing stories when I was, like, yeah. 10. Mm-hmm. I got into poetry in high school, and ever since, though, I, I went to do, you know, screenwriting, stand-up, mm-hmm. music, and all that. And, I was, and then I went to kitchen session. I was like, "Wow!" Just watching not just these poets, but these musicians mm-hmm. who I've never met before, but live here in the South Bay. Yeah, motivated me to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, think about think about everything that's ever inspired you. When I say like, when you write poetry, what triggered you to write that poem? Oftentimes, it'll be another genre that inspired you. It's usually to write poem. hardship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Heartbreak, heartbreak, hardship. Yeah. yeah, it's usually not poetry that inspires you to write poetry, you know, and it's usually not music that inspires you to make more music. It's usually something else. It's usually a real life thing or a, 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 a an experience, a moment, um, or somebody else's art, you know. And so I was like, well, I know that I get really inspired when I hear music. So I want live music, and I always want live music in my shows. Um, and I get really inspired by people who can do something I can't do. Mm. My brother, I'm going to book him for probably the next kitchen session. My brother is, he's a, he's a funny guy, but he's, hes I mean, because we, we grew up in the same way, and we're not very far apart in age. Um, he makes me laugh, but what his skill is, he can balance almost anything. On his fingertips, on any point of his body, on his chin, on his nose, and on his forehead, oh, on wow. his feet, he can, you know, he can take a broom, turn it upside down, and put it on top of his foot, and just balance it, just balance it on his foot for like an indefinite amount of time. Does he stack things up as well? He can. His most um, impressive act that I love, I think, is the coolest. Is he'll take a baseball cap and he'll bend the brim so that it's got a super point right at the very front of it. He'll put the hat on his head, and he'll take a basketball. He'll spin the basketball, and he'll put it on the point of the brim of his hat, 
and he'll just stand there balancing this spinning basketball on his hat. Whoa. It's so cool. Oh, That's going to work at, at the bar with the chicks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, whoa. Um, he is just... He's just physically really impressive, you know, and he always has been. Is he so. athletic? He was. He, he was. Now he's um, he's not not athletic, but he just he works a lot. He's a painter. Painter. He, um, he's a commercial painter. Nice. So. All right, Mighty Mike McGee, we hit the one hour mark. Woo. It's usually where we start closing shop. Yeah. Uh, any upcoming events or any upcoming stuff <clears throat> you, you'll like to uh, put out there for listeners um, to check out? I would say if anyone out there is interested in, if you live in the in the Bay Area and you're interested in checking out any of the shows I do, um, I put on Kitchen Session, which is open to the public. I just don't advertise it because it's in my house. Um, so if you want to know more about it, uh, find me on Facebook uh, under Mighty Mike McGee. Or uh, email me at mightymikemcgee at gmail.com. M-I-G-H-T-Y-M-I-K-E-M-C-G-E-E at gmail.com. Um, and anything else you might be interested in knowing about what's going on. Um, I am putting on, I also put on a storytelling and poetry show in Santa Clara at Studio Bongiorno. Um, one Friday a month. Um, kitchen session is usually one Saturday a month. And then I have a new series at Cafe Stritch. I think I'm going to call it Tall Orders. I'm not sure yet, and that's probably going to be one Wednesday a month. So I'm trying to line everything up. And I think if I do this tiny show thing, I'm going to try to get it on Thursdays. Are Thursdays open at, at Frascati? Do you know if anything goes on there? Uh, they might have a music band, but this should be open. The, the, the only times they're concerned about are Friday, Saturdays. I would <laughs> never want to book something Because usually opera or like something right. else. Yeah. No, I think San Jose needs a, a good Thursday show. And I think my tiny show will be that. So Tall Orders is going to be a Cafe Stretch. Um, and so the, all the next shows are actually going to be in October of this year, 2015. So um, so so Tall Orders will be the 21st. Uh, kitchen Session will be... Or uh, uh, Burning Tail at Studio Bongiorno will be on the 23rd. And Kitchen Session will be on the 24th. So it's like boom, 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 boom. Anything online people can check out? MikeMcGee.net. MikeMcGee.net. You got a dot .net. Yeah, I've had it since 2002. I tried to get .com, mm-hmm. and it was owned by a guy named Mike McGee in Canada. Oh, so Canadians. I, I emailed him. I was like, hey, man, um, what would it take to get a MikeMcGee.com email address? Because I didn't think I needed a website at the time. Yeah. And he's like, get your own domain. I was like, <laughs> whoa. So I went and I bought everything. Yeah. And I pushed him off of Google search. Ooh. Yeah. Like, if you Google Mike McGee, he comes up on, like, page 40. Dang, yeah. you, I was you, mad. You went Machiavelli on that guy, dude. I live in Silicon Valley. That was my <laughs> only logical recourse. You know? <laughs> it's like if you're gonna give me crap, all I wanted was an email address, yeah. which he's got tons of. Uh-huh. Once you have a website, you got tons of email. You know, so I was like, what, what's it gonna hurt to give? I'll pay you to use a mikemcgee.com email address. That's all I wanted was a mikemcgee.com email address because mm-hmm. I'm a Mike McGee. And his email came back. You can't, you can't prove to me that you're actually a Mike McGee, and uh, you just get your own get your own domain. I was like, one, I could send you a scan of my ID, you know, like so. Yes, I can prove I'm a Mike McGee, and two, screw you, I'm gonna. <laughs> but yeah, his website is the, the thing that bothers me the most is that his website is just like a business card promoting his. Services. And he seems like he's doing a good job. He seems like he's, he 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 fights for like Aboriginal rights in Canada. Aboriginal rights in Canada? Well, yeah, native native like um, are, First Nations. Right, Aboriginals yeah. are they not in Australia? Because I know Canada A- had the natives, uh, like yeah. the black 
uh, for, Aboriginal uh, just means the people who the first people indig- indigenous. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they use Aboriginal. You can use Aboriginal in any country that had a first people. Right. So that's if, interesting because I, I would just call them indigenous uh, population or whatever. There's all kinds of names. Uh, the the one that I noticed for when you're but when you're so Aboriginal is for any. It's not just Aboriginal in Australia. Aboriginal is just a, a blanket term. It's just the sort of umbrella term for any of the first peoples. I'm I'm pretty sure. If I'm wrong, I hope someone will correct hey, me. Hey, you you're full of so much insight. <laughs> you, you should have a mightymike.edu. Yeah, that's what well, you should get. Dot net is good enough, I think. <laughs> but if dot com ever comes available, I'm grabbing it. Um, because damn. But that guy's had it for like 13 years, 14 years. Okay. I, now before we go. Yeah, and this is a question. If someone is just starting poetry, mm-hmm. or even stand-up, because you you've been in the game for quite a while, mm-hmm. what are some tips you would recommend that person? Um, to try everything, to to try everything. Like, don't second guess yourself. Um, let let an audience second guess for you. You know, mm. go out there and try everything. Like, don't be afraid. Like, understand that really, for the most part. No one wants you to fail. Sure, there's one or two people in the room who are just assholes, and they want everyone to fail. Right. But you're not special, you know? They want everyone to fail, so don't worry about it. Um, they just want to be the best in the room. Don't be. Don't try to be the best poet in the room, and don't try to be the funniest person in the room. Just be the best poet in that moment. Be the best. Be the funniest comedian in that moment when it's your turn, you know? And just... Show the room, show the room that you give a shit, you know, show the room that you care about their humanity. Because the moment you show that you like them, the moment you show that you care about them, they'll care about you. It's reciprocal. It's a, it's, it's a give and take, you know. Um, I just don't understand. I mean, I understand like why a lot of comedians go out and they're very aggressive and they're very like insulting and very offensive. But after a while, I think like, when that comedian gets hit by a car, the news reports are just like, yep, yeah, so-and-so got hit by a car, you know? And no one, there's no big memorial online for like, oh, they're they're recuperating. You know, it's like, well, they're an asshole, you know? So like... <laughs> he, saw, he had it coming. Yeah. That's what it was. You know, it's karma. <laughs> you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person that no one cares about, you know? Like, if you're going to go out there and you're going to try so hard, that hard to make people laugh, yeah. Okay, be offensive, be insulting, but also be caring. I just don't know that those will actually work together. You know, um, care about your care about your crowd, care about your craft. Mm-hmm. Keep practicing, get out there. Um, in 1991, I was 14, and I called, uh, or I was 15, and I called up. Um, there was a, a contest on HBO, or well, not a contest, but it was a call-in show. You could call in Roseanne and Tom Arnold. And so I called in and I got on the line and Roseanne, you know, Roseanne was on the phone and I was on the air on HBO. And so I'm like, this is my first time ever on television. Actually, it was when I was 15. Um, my voice was. And um, and she's like, what? Uh, they're like, what's your question for Roseanne and Tom Arnold? I was like, I just want to know what I need to do to prepare to become a comedian. And she's like, oh, sweetie, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 14. She's like, you're so cute. Uh, well, yeah, just get some jokes and go out and tell them. But finish school. Make sure you finish school. So I want to tag that on there. If you're young, if you're a kid, finish school. Just just do it. It's worth it. it you'll get a lot of crap out of the way by finishing school. Don't worry about college uh, as much. Try college. 
but also try comedy open mics while you're doing college Mm -hmm. and see which one actually feels more natural. But know that if you don't finish college, you might struggle a little bit more in comedy, you know, but struggle is good. Struggle feeds your humor, you know, just get used to ramen, you know, (laughs) like you'll be fine. (laughs) And if you don't know what to do, drop me an email, mightymikemcgee at gmail.com, you know, drop me an email. I'll give you some advice or I'll send you to someone who has good advice, you know, and if you're a woman, just get out there. Get out there. Like, there needs to be more women in this, in, oh, in both most, scenes. Most definitely. Both scenes need need more women. They need more, they need more non, they need more non-binary. You know, get out there and um, be they, them, and there. <laughs> be, be she, you know. Don't be he, don't be dude. <laughs> Mighty yeah. Mike McGee, it's been a pleasure having you here. I appreciate it, Jorge, very much. Yeah. Oh, we had a good time. Hope you like yeah. the wasabi piece. I love them. I love them. I was trying not to chew too much throughout the, the interview. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate the time, man. Big time. Several billion years ago or more, you began as an inert, microscopic particle floating deep in space. Were any creatures aware of your existence, they might have named you something wonderful, but they didn't, because as we now know, eyes require a complexity, too large to see the tiny spark and shine you had. Eyes didn't exist yet in that part of the universe. You had no purpose to be seen. After a long hibernation that included the universe forming before and around you, a very large nearby sun died, one septillion octillions of times larger than you, expelling all of its energy, pushing you, spinning you away, along with newer, smaller particles that spun around you. You, now a wayward atom with a purpose you didn't ask for, because as we now know, the act of asking requires lips and teeth and things. Shot from deep space, nearer the center of the universe, and after an extremely long, quiet, and relatively unencumbered flight, you landed on the Earth's new moon, basking for the next very long ever, sitting there for some time, perpetually energized by the strong rays of the Earth's further sun, a new sun, warming the even newer planet, terraforming itself in silence thanks to your distance. You waited for nothing and no one. Your particles radiated longer than any particles have any right to do. You waited, and the moon took its time, inching closer to an earth, growing bluer and bluer as millennia slipped by. And you waited. Suddenly, I came into being as a gas particle from Earth's sun. That angry star banished sextillions of us for no reason, because as we now know, reason requires brains and love and shoulders. It is possible but unlikely that I sensed your tiny spark and shine on my 93 million mile flight. This would explain the slightest turn in my trajectory. I landed next to you and we sat on the lunar surface through so much time that we might have become inseparable. Our bond was inexplicable because as we now know, explanation requires a need to understand and understanding is sometimes a physical thing that just is. Just when we were settled, A large ball of fiery power blasted closely past us and our quiet home. Its tail as long as 100 of our moons. Its anger dragged us with it, and we flew right for the blue ball in front of us. 
Just before we collided with it, the fiery ball was consumed by molecules we'd never met before. Bigger than us, but friendly. They called themselves wind and welcomed us as they ate the fire rock. They told us to settle in the coolness of what they called water. We landed in the big water and floated for some time. We enjoyed it when the wind would carry the water up high and then splash it down on us. We were one since before we left the moon, and we enjoyed this more interesting place together. Millions of years went by, and the weather changed billions of times. The oxygen took care of us, and the water helped us navigate. Creatures got smaller, and we honored them by adhering to other parts of them for their entire lives. We lived in the eye of a large beast. We were the most important part of thousands of insects. We were the least important parts of dinosaurs. We were the messengers for ten different hair follicles. We were the tiniest part of a bird's heart. We could feel it soaring from within. It always made you laugh. That was our favorite job. We made friends and worked so closely with so many like us and even more unlike us. We lived through so many cycles of cycles of creatures and plants. We lived as teammates in thousands of trees their entire lives. Lastly, we became part of a flower that got eaten by something, then digested, and eventually we got sniffed and stepped on by a large dog. Its masters called it Shinjo and yelled its name angrily as it dragged us into their small dwelling, where we were cleaned up and thrown into the garden. We'd been bonded for so long, you and I. We never knew separation was possible. Until that morning, when the garden flashed brighter than an angry sun, and everything around us was split apart, including you and I. I don't know where you went, but I returned to the water and searched for you best I could at my size. Decades went by, and I was drank by a two-footed master. The same must have happened to you. I became part of a human egg. You may be part of human sperm, but we grew to become two very different bipedal mammals. I lived in this man's voice box. You lived in your woman's heart. Mine loved art and the universe, as did yours, because we were in them and part of it in such a simple way. Because as we now know, the universe isn't just out there, it's also in here. My body traveled north to speak about all of this in simple, loving ways. Your body sensed all of what is in you might be in mine too. Mine knocked on the door, yours answered, and I finally recognized that tiny spark and shine.